This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. 365 Sports. I'm Craig Smoke, 365 Sports host, Sikkim365 writer. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grudenhafer, Director of Broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter for, you guessed it, Sikkim365. We got Garrett and Jacob behind the scenes as well, Garrett Ross and Jacob Wilson. And we are here to talk to you following a 38-35 win. Baylor football over the Oklahoma Sooners, just the second win ever in Norman, Oklahoma. The first time in the Dave Aranda era, the Bears go up to Norman and get a W. And with that win number six, the Bears are officially bowl eligible, so we will have an extra game to talk about uh, this year. And uh, that's always nice, second year in a row to have a postseason berth and maybe even one other extra game as they are firmly in the Big 12 title race as we speak and in full control of their own destiny. Win out and they're in, uh, lose, and it gets a bit dicey and certainly a tough stretch coming up three weeks in a row, two home games. Up first, Kansas State, then TCU, then Texas, the three other contenders in the conference title race, Grayson. So, uh, if you were to draw up an intriguing stretch run to close out the season, I don't know that you could really make it more intriguing than what Baylor has in front of them right now. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, this is kind of what I think everyone anticipated or thought could be possible for this Baylor team. I, I think most people sat there and saw them at 3-2 and two going into that West Virginia game and going, hey, they could be sitting at 7-2 and two going into this stretch run. Didn't quite work out that way, but you're seeing a team that has definitely gotten better throughout the year they're showing signs of improvement and I feel like you know every podcast that I'm listening to everyone that's talking about the big 12 it just seems to me like everyone's just saying hey it's going to be TCU in Texas for sure in the big 12 championship game and I find that rather interesting because this Baylor team's playing some really good football and you know they control their own destiny um, which I think is a big thing and not a lot of teams can say that there's only three teams that can say that currently um, so the Bears are in good position. I'm excited to see how they do going forward. Yeah, I was listening to one last night that basically called them like a paper tiger and said that they're not very good. Cover uh, three? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that might have been what it was. And I understand that they have to pretend like they know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do to to some extent. But you can also tell when you're glancing at a box score and coming up to some some you know, judgment on a team. And that was one where I go, I know this team better than you do. And I know that I know them better than you do. And I kind of see where you're coming from, but I don't think you're entirely accurate. My best part of that was he did not, he said, I could, I could see them losing this weekend. I'm like, if they're, if they're as bad as you think they are, why are you not just picking them to lose? And also let me remind you, if they win this game this weekend, there's only two games left, and they're right there in the Big 12 title race. And he talked about how the Big 12 is really good this year and all that. I found that to be really just contradicting statements, to be honest. But, yeah, I don't think they're getting the credit. Now, on the flip side, I've mentioned this a few times on the chat and, of course, also on Crystal Ball College Football, which I did earlier. Baylor hasn't played the meat of their schedule yet. They haven't beaten anyone that's really good, honestly. Uh, I think all the teams that they have wins against are pretty much – 
average, you know, kind of seven and five type teams. Um, so I kind of look at this stretch and I go, okay, how's Baylor going to adjust to the, you know, upping of competition that they're going to see in Kansas State, TCU, and Texas. It's definitely going to be a little bit of a shift, and, and these teams are better than the ones that they've played so far this year. Well, let's talk about how they even have a chance to be in this mix. They had to win three in a row. That's what they've done, and they had to go win in Norman for only the second time ever, and that's what they did on Saturday. So we'll start off with a bit of a recap and then get into uh, a little bit of hoops talk as that season kicks off and then your mailbag and some predictions as well. Uh, but on Saturday in Norman, uh, seemed like a nice enough day. And, uh, well, let's start off uh, 10 plays, 75 yards, a scripted drive from Oklahoma. They do what they're supposed to do with their scripted drive. They go down and score a nice double-digit uh, number of plays. And uh, Baylor responds in kind, 11 plays, 63 yards. So both teams with their opening scripted drives able to strike and uh, get points on the board. So 7-7, seven, seven, and then the game kind of you know settles in after that. Yeah, and a great start for Baylor offensively. That was great to see. Great to see squirrel immediately make an impact and that touchdown run they had you saw basically you saw squirrel run to the end zone and then you saw connor galvin basically take a guy to the stands is what it looked like was about to happen there as he got a pancake a really impressive one i will mention on that oklahoma touchdown drive i mean this is the problem that baylor's had this year is hidden points like Christian Morgan, you got to make that tackle, man. When you have the sideline there, he completely whiffed, allowed Dylan Gabriel to sneak into the end zone when he had help on the inside. He allowed him to go outside. You can't do that. You make that play. You force a field goal. That's four points right there. So that need to be mentioned just because it was a, a really baffling missed tackle in my eyes. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel had a nice run on third and nine, and uh, Sooner score. Uh, Baylor gets the ball, as I mentioned, and they score uh, after some Craig Williams right out of the gates and uh, a big uh, fourth down conversion as Josh Cameron uh, had a big gain on fourth down and seven. So uh, that was a little sign of things to come for him as well, eventually setting up the score Williams touchdown. So it was 7-7 after those two uh, – you know, interesting opening drives, and then you get into uh, turnovers. And Dylan Gabriel, with the first of three interceptions that he'd have in the first half, that certainly would play into uh, just what kind of occurred over the course of the day, and Baylor winning by three points. Uh, every little thing mattered, and certainly mattered here is uh, Dylan Doyle able to get the interception off of Gabriel. Uh, Baylor cashes it in three plays later. Jordan Neighbors on a little uh, end around and uh, reverse, what have you, and uh, he's able to get in the end zone, and they make the most of their opportunity. Big swing, and it's 14-7. Uh, yeah, credit to TJ Franklin with the tip there, and then Dylan Doyle got the interception. Great to see. Um, I, I will say this, and we're obviously as we go through the game, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but the commentators talking about how Dylan Gabriel got unlucky with his passes was just this reoccurring theme that I thought was so ridiculous because they were acting like Baylor wasn't making plays to get tips. Um, and they were risky throws and all that. So just something I want to mention because I believe two of these turnovers were tips, right? Or were all three? Uh, I think two. Two for sure, yeah. yeah. Two um, were tips. And yeah, I don't. I don't know. With the third one, I think might have just been you know more of a of a bad decision or whatever. Yeah. But um, you know, great plays by Baylor, and and I don't even know what the announcers are saying. I was too distracted by the crowd noise that was overtaking the announcers for a majority of the broadcast. Um, I could hear you know the the little 
boy, uh, and then like I, what sounded like his buzz father later on in the broadcast, yeah. or a relative, or whatever. I don't know. Maybe they were complete strangers, but they both were featured heavily on the ESPN Plus broadcast. So I was I was a bit distracted and couldn't really focus on the commentary, but. Uh, yeah, so Baylor gets the interception. They turn around, and they're able to cash it in with uh, Josh Cameron, as I mentioned. And then uh, Oklahoma, or uh, Jordan Neighbors, excuse me, with the, the touchdown on the second one. Uh, so then Jordan Neighbors scores. It's 14-7. Oklahoma turns right around, and uh, they're able to score quickly. Three plays, 75 yards. Uh, Marvin Mims, 63 yards for the score as uh, Baylor had some busted coverage, and it is 14-14, and... Uh, we got a little shootout brewing there in the first quarter. That's the way that that first quarter would end as well as Baylor would get the ball back and punt the three and out. Uh, so, yeah, starting the second quarter, it's 14-14 to 14 after some quick strikes uh, from the Sooners. Yeah, and A.J. McCarty continuing to take his lumps. He got, he got really torched on that one. I, it seems like there was confusion on if he was going to have safety help or not, mm-hmm. and it was clear that there was no, like, that that play did not have safety help based on the reaction of the other Baylor players. So unfortunate to see AJ's had some ups and downs this year. Hopefully he can, you know, continue to improve on that. But yeah, Marvin, great player as well. Great players make big plays and he definitely made some big plays for Oklahoma on Saturday. Second quarter uh, starts off and uh, Dylan Gabriel back to throwing interceptions and Baylor defense (laughs) back to making plays Uh, 14-14. Six plays into their drive, Dylan Gabriel intercepted at the Baylor 35-yard line, Devin Lemire uh, with the pick, and so Baylor cuts off a potential scoring drive from the Sooners, who were, uh, like I mentioned, already down to the 35-yard line, and every point would matter in this game, so big for them to get their second interception of the uh, game. And Yeah, two straight games with an interception for Devin Lemire and as you mentioned 49 yard field goal by uh, John Mayers that was huge as special teams man he he's made an impact and he's reverting to 2019 John Mayers who had such a good year so it, it's great to see him healthy and playing really good football yep uh, Devin Lemire interception John Mayers 49 yard field goal would uh, cap off that uh, that turnover Baylor gets the lead 17 to 14 Oklahoma Goes eight plays, 40 yards before getting stopped on fourth down and one. Once again, inside Baylor territory, this time at the 35-yard line. Uh, you had a combination of guys get in to make a play, but Devin Neal with the tackle, Siaki Ika uh, bustling, you know, getting some stuff all jammed up there in the, uh, in the front and in the middle, and uh, just a huge stop by the Baylor defense. So two interceptions and a fourth down stop, and they're up 17-14. to 14. We Turn around four plays, 65 yards, and take a two-score lead as uh, Squirrel Williams once again with a short rush into the end zone. So, a big sequence there of the fourth down stop. Squirrel cashes in, and next thing you know, it's 24-14 to 14 in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, and I felt like this was, like, game over. I felt like this was where Baylor was really just going to turn it on and really just take over this game. That's what it felt like, at least mm-hmm. trends-wise. And like you said, on that fourth down, um, Devin Neal, great play, making the running back stumble. Um, if Ika's not there, it's first down, so great job by Apu to get in there and, and really just – be a wall basically between him and the first down. Um, so that was great to see the response, a quick touchdown. That's huge. You're up 24, 14 and you're like, okay, Baylor's going to figure it out. They might get another interception. We'll see. They're going to take over this game, right? 
Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. Uh, Oklahoma would kind of settle down a little bit, get into a, a lengthier drive, nine plays, 75 yards, two minutes and 20 seconds. So not lengthy in time, but just in terms of just taking more than three plays to go down and score, it felt like. So lengthier for, for them. Uh, and they do go down and score. A much-needed answer, Eric Gray, who had a great day uh, against the Baylor defense. I mean, didn't statistically have, like, some monster performance, but it felt like he did. It felt like he had way more than the 100-something yards that he ended up with. Uh, but he ends up getting into the end zone, five-yard touchdown. They cut the lead to 24-20. I think if you're Oklahoma, you've thrown two picks. You've got stopped on fourth down. You've been deep in Baylor territory, and, you know, you're only down by three points at this stage, so you're feeling good. And uh, sure enough, Baylor uh, turns right around and throws an interception uh, as they're uh, eight plays into their following drive. Blake Shapin picked off uh, trying to go for Gavin Holmes on a play that's worked for them a lot this year. Um, and just, I don't know, it was weird. Even the replay, uh, part of it was the, the broadcast, I'm sure, that I was watching. But then even then, I never saw like a great replay of how close the ball was to Gavin and like if he could have caught it or not. Like I just never saw a great angle on this. But Shapin goes to the well and gets picked off by Billy Bowman. Uh, so Oklahoma in business. But thankfully, they turn right around, and five plays later, they throw an interception of their own. Dylan Gabriel, the third of the half, and this time it's Christian Morgan. So the two teams trade picks, and, um, you know, Baylor uh, punts, not able to do anything with it. Oklahoma gets the ball back. And here they are with a chance to tie it up before halftime. And instead, they miss a field goal. And uh, Baylor goes into the half up 24-21. to 21. Zach Schmidt trying to connect from 55 yards out. And if he had made that, then, man, you talk about some momentum. Yeah. And it's tied up. And it's like, man, we've thrown three picks, got stopped on fourth down. Instead, he thankfully misses it. Um, Baylor catches a bit of a break, even though they had a bunch of breaks. And uh, that, that whirlwind of events, and uh, it's 24-21 at halftime in Norman, Oklahoma. How are you feeling after this, you know, kind of back-and-forth closing sequence and them holding on to a field goal lead uh, halfway through this one? Yeah, you know, the interception by Shapin. And th this is a play that I'm going to keep coming back to because – the two of them, for whatever reason on this play, it's worked really well at times, but it has just been so costly at times, too. The, yeah. the one on the goal line against Oklahoma State where it uh, was thrown behind Gavin and ended up in, um, or was that Kansas? I can't remember. It was right behind Gavin, and it ends up getting intercepted uh, on that one. Uh, in West Virginia, the drop that gets intercepted in um and then in this one, he completely missed him, just threw it, let him way too much. It's picked off on the backside. Like, if you're going to run this play, you have to be accurate. You got to put the ball on your receiver. It can't be behind him, can't be too far in front of him. Uh, so Shapin just missed this one. Unfortunate. Thankfully, Baylor was able to recover. A great play by Lorando Johnson as well on this interception as he was in perfect coverage, tipped the ball up. Christian Morgan ends up with the interception from behind. His second straight game as well with an interception. Uh, but yeah, like you said, the missed field goal, really helpful. I felt like it kind of stopped the momentum that OU could have had going mm -hmm. into halftime. For sure. So uh, great job by the Baylor defense to get some stops. Like, the, But the concern is, as we'll get to, and as you know, even Aranda addressed that he's, you know, he's got issues with the defense right now is – you know, it's one thing to 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 bend, 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 but like you're not going to get three first half interceptions every week, right. and you know you do that against like TCU, and you could be down twenty eight to three at halftime if you're not careful. And and I think that's the concern is like they got the breaks they needed in this game, but if even one thing goes differently, then they're probably losing this ball game. And it, it's weird because it felt like they sort of dominated it. Yeah. 
and yet they really didn't. Um, so yeah, it's it's a feeling like I think where I felt good at halftime. I don't know about you, especially with that missed field goal. But yeah, definitely caught some breaks there with the with the three picks that helped them uh, immensely. So all things kind of even. They have a three point uh, lead coming out of the half and. I uh, love the way they started things, uh, giving themselves quickly a 10-point lead. Their opening drive of the third quarter, nine plays, 75 yards in just over four minutes. A lot of Quaylen Jones on this drive. Some squirrels sprinkled in. And then Richard Reese, his one touchdown on the day, uh, as he was used very sparingly. Not a lot of carries for Richard as he was dealing with the flu bug that was apparently going around the team, which we learned after the game. And also the fact that he had like 60-plus carries over the previous two games. So uh, a true freshman or not, you don't want to run him into the ground. And they certainly had the last couple of games. So between that and him being sick, it was a good time for him to kind of get a little bit of a break. A uh, huge for Squirrel Williams to step up the way that he did. Quaylen Jones continues to play a really solid role in the backfield as well, and uh, they would need him. But in this case, Richard did make his mark, and obviously, like I keep saying, every point was important in this football game. So big touchdown there for him from two yards out to go up 31-21. And he left the game, I believe, right after this, right? That's when I he think went so, back to yeah. the locker room. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, great to see him get another touchdown here and make a little bit of an impact. But like you said, he clearly wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And it clearly, going into the game, it was like, okay, this is going to be a squirrel game. And, I mean, thank goodness Squirrel was healthy and ready to go because he was very explosive, and they definitely needed him. Yeah, they didn't need Richard Reese to have the flu game uh, like MJ. They, they yeah. needed it to be the Squirrel game, and it was a Squirrel game. And, and again, I always need to mention a little sprinkling of Quaylen Jones in there as well. Especially his pass protection, which yep. is what we've talked about. He's been vital there. Uh, so Baylor up 31-21. They force a three and out on the following drive. So life's pretty good. And you're thinking, okay, about to take control of this one, except for they go three and out themselves and uh, go backwards on their drive. Oklahoma gets the ball back, and they go seven plays, 77 yards. They're not going away. Some Eric Gray on this drive. And Dylan Gabriel's arm, he finds Drake Stoops for a nine-yard score. And Oklahoma – Despite all the things that seemingly are not going in their favor, uh, only down three points as you get uh, into the last five minutes of the third quarter. And then Baylor forced to punt four plays, only seven yards, uh, and they're having to, uh, to kick it off uh, Isaac Power as they face a fourth and 16 to close out the third quarter. So Oklahoma with the big stoop score in within three, defensive stop, and there's one frame to go, and it's a tight ball game at this point. Yeah, and I, I mean, you're sitting there and you're still thinking, man, Baylor feels like they're getting feels like they're they kicking want, their butt, but, but it did, you know, it didn't show it. It didn't, and I know OU was moving the ball. I, I know I understand all that, but it really felt like Baylor was getting in situations they wanted to be in. But it also felt like they were just slightly off, just just mm-hmm. like this little something was off from them really breaking the game wide open. Um, so yeah, you go to the fourth and you're like, wow, this is anyone's game once again. Yeah, it really felt that way, and yeah, like they felt like they were they were kicking their butt, but not like really. I don't know. It just felt like they could be in control whenever they wanted, and it was just a weird game in in that way of like they sort of kind of dominated at times, but not really. And and as a result, it was it was a close game uh, as Oklahoma has the ball to start the fourth quarter, down three. Uh, Baylor's defense forces them to punt, and a little did we know that there was not going to be much in terms of possessions in this final frame, which was a key for the Baylor offense to basically play keep away in this one. But after uh, uh, Oklahoma forced a punt, Baylor gets the ball back. And uh, like I said, keep away. They hold on to the ball for over five minutes as they go 11 plays, 
80 yards, a heavy dose of uh, just Squirrel Williams, Quaylen Jones, uh, both of those guys in particular, and Shapin having to uh, obviously do some things with his arm, had uh, the big gain, the Josh Cameron, huge 45-yarder, as Josh Cameron really featured heavily in this game. Like, the receiving core was, I mean, compared to the running game, a small factor, but what they did get from the receivers and Josh Cameron and Hal Presley in particular was like, Every yard was it mattered in this game, right? And Josh's blocking was mm-hmm. very key on their perimeter running. He he's a very good blocker. I will also say, this in my eyes was the game. Oh yeah, and it was for also. Sure. The, but but it was this one sequence here where Oklahoma decided not to go for it on fourth and four at the Baylor forty six. Yes. Baylor decided to go for it on fourth and one at their own twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Difference in philosophies, difference in mindsets, difference in trust in their team. And I felt like that, those two plays in particular, in my eyes, were the difference between these two teams. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. I think, you know, in the post game and maybe in their Monday conferences, you know, the OU coaches had to address that a little bit. And Venable's very defensive um, in some ways, not necessarily about that specifically, but just kind of how they handled that game. And, you know, that's part he's going to learn. Yeah. Just like Dave Aranda's still learning and, mm-hmm. you know, has had to learn. And, um, you know, I think Oklahoma will be fine in the end. But you could certainly question if you were to – you could question a few things about the way they played. But that was certainly one of them as uh, there was a difference in philosophies. And uh, Aranda's more aggressive, you know, approach uh, definitely paid off. As, yeah, Oklahoma punted on – fourth and four and uh, Baylor's like all right we'll take this and we'll drain five plus minutes off the clock and sure enough as you mentioned it was a fourth and one Squirrel Williams gets two yards to uh, keep the chains moving and uh, they're able to reset the chains a couple of different times before Quaylen Jones on second down and two able to uh, get into the end zone uh, or excuse me yeah second and two uh, goes 10 yards uh, to uh, to get the score and give Baylor suddenly a 38 to 28 lead not over by any means but man you're feeling a lot better after that one so big score from Quaylen and uh, just one more uh, possession really uh, two I guess one and a half possessions to, to decide this ball game here yeah and and you're just sitting there going okay so you got the 10 point lead again so now we gonna get stopped here or what what's gonna happen no. here and no you know. they were not uh, <laughs> Oklahoma was gonna go 13 plays 75 yards in five minutes and 10 seconds uh so a lengthy drive for them, a much needed, but uh, able to convert on uh, you know third and shorts, couple second and shorts, and eventually Eric Gray gets in the end zone again, another touchdown for him. Oklahoma cuts it to thirty-eight to thirty-five, and uh, now at this point it's it's you know it's uh it's on here. Yeah, it's who gets the ball last yep. is basically what how I looked at it. If Baylor punted, I felt like. I did not feel good about their chances. So with the ball and a few minutes to play and the lead, uh, 38-35, Baylor converts on a huge third and six as uh, Blake Shapin finds Hal Presley uh, to move the chains. And then eventually it would come down to a third and three, or excuse me, a second and seven. Squirrel Williams, 50-yard run. It was third and three. Yeah, it was third and three. Third and three. Oh, that's right, yeah. So after a second and seven run, it's third down and three. Squirrel got four yards, and then he takes off. Uh, 43 yards uh, and slides down the very heads-up play uh, as he decides, uh, I've had enough, I've made my mark, and I don't need to score because the smarter play is to run the rest of this clock out, which I can do by 
stopping, and that's what he did uh, while his cheermates, his teammates were in the background cheering him on racing to the end zone. Uh, this was a better play. This was a smarter play, and this play sealed the game as Squirrel slides down, Shapin kneels it out a couple of times, and Baylor walks out of Norman, Oklahoma with a 38-35 to win. So uh, just a huge performance from Squirrel. Those three picks in the first half were all key. The mayor's field goal was uh, huge as well when you win by three. And uh, obviously, man, just um, just grinded one out in Norman, Oklahoma, and a huge win to get bowl eligible. Uh, so an extra game to cover this year, as I mentioned at the very top, and uh, now find themselves facing the three other main contenders in the Big 12 and playing every single one of them back-to-back-to-back to, back to, back to close out the year. Uh, so, man, uh, a fun game. Second win ever in Norman. First for Dave Aranda in Norman. Uh, back-to-back versus the Sooners, which is only the second time that's ever happened. First since 13, 14 years. So just you could go down the list of the media guide notes, um, you know, that are going to be in there next year when they, they get the, the notes together for the Oklahoma game. But very memorable in that way. And, um, yeah, just a, a really great win for this football team. Yeah, and re- remember, I just want to caution everyone. This Oklahoma offense with Dylan Gabriel is the top 10 offense in the country, scoring-wise. They have been all year when he has played at least one and a half quarters. He got hurt early in the TCU game, did not play against Texas. Again, those two games are probably very different uh, if he was in the game. I'm not saying they win those games, but I think the score looks far more competitive than it ended up being. I will say here, Blake Shapin didn't have a very good game at all in my eyes. I felt like he was off, but on that third and six, he made a great throw to Hal Presley in one of the biggest moments. That was by far his best throw of the day. Um, and I felt like, you know, he wasn't great. He made a few throws. He just was a little off, it felt like. There were just a few throws here or there that if they went Baylor's way, you felt like they could have really piled on uh, in this game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when you run for 281 yards, uh, five touchdowns on the ground, which is kind of what I felt like they would do. I felt like they'd get to 200 rather easily. Um, and they did that and then some. So that was very, very impressive. Uh, defensively, only one sack. Um, you know, that's not great. Uh, but you had three interceptions. You also had 87 plays ran on you, which is not exactly awesome either. That definitely makes you kind of look and go, okay, we're going to, you know, you might see a team that's a little bit little bit rusty uh, going forward in this one, at least, it, it going into the next week. So uh, we'll see. I felt like, again, this was a key win for Baylor. It doesn't matter how it happens on the road. you got to find ways to win, and I felt like, their mindset of, hey, we're going to run the football, we're going to overpower Oklahoma, we're going to be the more physical football team is what they needed to do, and it's what they did. So very impressed by Baylor as, like you said, they're getting ready for the home stretch now. Yeah, they'll have back-to-back home games, uh, K-State up first and then TCU, the unbeaten conference leader at the moment, and then close out Black Friday in Austin against UT, who's starting to surge at the right time after their win over Kansas State uh, in Manhattan. And so those Wildcats now come to Waco, Dave Aranda 2-0 against uh, the Cats so far in his first couple of years, uh, beating them both home and away. Uh, we could see Adrian Martinez at quarterback. We could also see Will Howard at quarterback. We could see both. We, you know, it's That's one of the mysteries, but I would plan on seeing probably both of them, and they're different in their styles uh, to some extent. Uh, obviously, Deuce Vaughn's the overall headliner of this team. Got some great defensive players as well. And uh, Grayson, uh, your thoughts as we as we take a look at the Kansas State Wildcats. So you you think both will play, and that you don't think you think that Adrian Martinez is at risk of not not playing the whole game. 
I mean, I, I would prepare for both of them, mm-hmm. sure. I'm not, I don't, I'm not predicting that they're going to both play, but I think that based on what we've seen this year, uh, I sure as heck would be preparing for both players. I mean, more so Martinez than Howard, but based off of last week, um, you know, I, I, I think that you got to be prepared for whatever. And yeah. Will Howard gives them a different dimension. So, yeah, I'd be ready for him too. Okay, so, yeah, and he's got two games left um, if he's going to redshirt. And I know that's yeah. a big thing for them. So they're going to have to figure out a, de- a decision on that. But obviously, they're still trying to win a Big 12 championship. Mm-hmm. So until that passes, like you said, I mean, they kind of got to go with whatever they feel like gives them the best chance to win. I still think they're going to ride with Adrian Martinez. I think this is his team. Um, I also think he actually gives them the best chance to win uh, because of his running ability. Baylor struggled at times with athletic running quarterbacks. Um, he's got 617 yards and 10 touchdowns on the ground in basically seven games this year. Deuce Vaughn, like you said, 975 yards, five touchdowns, also 216 yards receiving and two touchdowns. A very good player uh, at receiver. It's all these three guys, Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, Cade Warner. Those are the three guys that they're going to headline throwing the football to. All three very different, but Knowles and Brooks, speed guys. Warner, more of a possession guy. Um, but those are the guys that are going to try to attack um, this Baylor secondary. Now, this team runs the ball a lot, right? This Kansas State football team, they try to establish the run because it protects Adrian Martinez. It protects their uh, lack of depth at receiver. Um, So you're going to see them try to establish it. Now, in Kansas State's three losses this year, they're only averaging 161 yards on the ground. But in their six wins, they're averaging 247 yards per game on the ground. That's going to be key. Baylor needs to find a way to keep them uh, in that, you know, 160 to 180 range. If they can do that, they're going to have a great shot to win this game. Uh, But they got to, again, try to make them as one-dimensional as possible, which I think Baylor has the ability to do that. Yeah, I think they do as well. I mean, they got to improve their run defense, so that's certainly been something that has not been the the sharpest, and that's a little bit of a concern coming into this game in particular. Yeah, it's been off and on. And the two games you point to are, right, West Virginia and Oklahoma. Um Outside of that, though, they've been pretty solid against the run. Like, Kansas just couldn't do anything here running the ball. And come to find out, they're, they continue to be a very good running football team. They ran all over Oklahoma State uh, this weekend. Um, so, I am curious, though. You're right. Like, which side wh- – where is Baylor? Is Baylor a really good run defense? Or are they just an inconsistent one who, when they face a really good rushing offense, has problems? Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, Eric Gray looked pretty good against them last week, and if Eric Gray is going to look like that, then Deuce Vaughn's going to look even better. And then you add in the quarterback element as well. And, yeah, that's a little bit of a concern coming into this one. Now, if they play the way they played at other times, then I feel great about their rush defense. But given our most recent little showing here, um, yeah, I got a little bit of concern about them shoring up some things, so to speak. Yeah, I'm curious how much the flu played a part yeah, in that. it's hard to know. And also the fact that you're at home, you would think you'd – you would think you'd play better on the defensive side. Sure. Now, moving on to Kansas State defensively. So, the area that I continue to look at, because I think it's been the most important um, for Baylor pretty much this year, is the rushing yards. Baylor has to be able to run the football. That's very obvious. That It's been very evident in their performances this year. When they're running for over 200 yards, they are very, very hard to beat. Um, Kansas State, 71st ranked run defense in the nation. They give up 148 rushing yards per game. Might not sound crazy. I don't think it's that bad. It's not horrific. But the problem is, is when they face really good rushing football teams, they struggle. 
So against Texas, they gave up 269 yards on the ground. Against TCU, 215. Against Oklahoma, 220. And against Tulane, 160. All four of those are the top are in the top 50 rushing offenses. They haven't played anyone else that's inside the top 50. Baylor is 19th in the country in rushing yards per game. In my eyes, that just gives me a lot of confidence that Baylor's going to be able to run the football on them, probably for 200-plus yards. And if they do that, I mean, I think that, that gives Baylor a great shot in this one. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I don't know if it's the magic number or not, but, yeah, if they're running for 200-plus, I feel pretty great about their chances. And going back, I didn't realize they were making such an attempt to redshirt Will Howard. So mm-hmm. I'm speaking about just – who gives them the best chance? I'm not sure. It's not Will Howard in some yeah. cases, especially against Baylor. Um, you know, Adrian Martinez has the better running ability, so you pair that with Deuce Vaughn, and that can get a little nasty uh, to have to deal with. But, you know, what's also hurt Baylor at times is the, the throw game, and Will Howard can be dangerous there. So if they're trying to maintain his red shirt, that's okay. That changes things if, if you're talking about him playing in this game. But if you're asking me, like, climbing, just play who you think can give you a chance to win, I would definitely bank on them playing both quarterbacks. But we'll, we'll see. So. Yeah, I think that was kind of in the deal with, with keeping him was that, hey, yeah. this is Adrian Martinez's team, but then it's going to be your team for the next few years. So we'll, we'll I see. I get it, but I, I think that kind of sucks, man. That's uh, yeah. that's like a that's a assuming you're going to have everything right. in store next year to be able to do that. And I, I don't know if I, – I, I'm kind of with a feeling, man, you, t- you take it while you can get it. But Yeah, that's, it's like a compliment and a negative at the same time. It's like yeah. we like you a lot, but just not for this year. So we'll, we'll see. Again, like you said, they're still in the Big 12 title race, and he still has games to work with. So they could play him in this one sure. and still be fine. So, But unlike Baylor, they don't control their own destiny because they, they have to win out and they have to hope what, that Texas loses like two times, basically, or TCU loses yeah, twice. They need Texas to lose twice. Yeah. So, so they're, they're – I mean, if they lose this game, they're out. If they win this game, they're probably still on the outside yeah. looking in is what I – at least I, I'm kind of envisioning it at this point. Uh, defensively, you know, I talked a little bit about Kansas State. Let's talk a little bit about their players specifically. Uh, Felix, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but Anudike <laughs> Uzoma, I think it's something like that. Uh, seven and a half sacks this year, nine tackles for loss, 34 tackles, two forced fumbles. He's a beast off the edge. If Baylor does not pass protect well, Blake Shapin will get hit quite a few times by him and by some of their other guys. They have guys who blitz pretty well. Brendan Mott, uh, he's a solid one. Khalid Duke, uh, Austin Moore from the linebacker spot, you might see him blitz as well. Um, but the big thing for Kansas State that I've seen is their pass rush and then their secondary. Secondary is really good. You're going to go and look at the Texas game, and you're going to say, man, they got ran all over, and uh, they gave up these big plays. But you need to remember they lost their top cornerback very early in the game, Julius Brents, on a targeting call. And so once they lost him, they really struggled to get stops until the second half. He'll be back for this one. And their secondary has been awesome. They're in the top 25 in passing efficiency. Uh, Only three teams have eclipsed 200 yards passing on Kansas State. So in my eyes, it's probably going to be a situation where Blake Shapin will likely throw for under 200 yards in this game. Um, and Baylor is still 3-1 and one in those situations, um, but it, it just is one of those things where if he's taking too many risks, there could be interceptions, there could be uh, errors on third down uh, because their coverage is pretty good. So something to keep an eye on, Blake Shapin is going to have to be sharp in this one if they're truly going to be able to move the ball at will on Kansas State, even with a good run game. 
like Quinn Ewers played really well in my eyes last weekend. Like he, he was very solid for them. He ended up with only 197 yards and two touchdowns, but it's more about the efficiency. It's converting third downs, hitting on a couple big plays here and there, and just making the defense respect you enough that you're able to keep eight guys out of the box in the run game. Fair enough, and yeah, that uh, was an impressive performance from Texas. Uh, they nearly blew them out of their own gym um, the and other Steve night. Steve Sarkeesian's second half woes yeah. continued. Yeah, uh, that's something that they that they need to uh, look look at because that's become a recurring theme. Is like, oh yeah, once he has to actually like coach and not like mm-hmm. like Have a game plan. coach off the cuff, then yeah. he's not one of the the best right now in the game. That's for sure. And um, they're about to play probably the best second half football team in the entire country. Like TCU has gotten down early in so many games, but their second half stuff is. Yeah. I just wonder if they're going to be able to like keep Texas close enough hanging Mm -hmm. around to be able to even have that opportunity. Like, I don't think they can keep playing with fire like they're doing, but yeah, they could very well win the coaching matchup, but yeah, Sark scripted is great. Sark unscripted (laughs) is not as great, but uh, yeah, Texas is, is a, you know, a team that really gave K-State all they could handle mm-hmm. and uh, could have blown them out really. I mean, it was kind of a blowout at halftime, quite frankly. Well, 31 to 10. Yeah. They were, and it could have been worse. They they ran all over. I mean, mm-hmm. Bijan just did whatever he wanted in that game. Um, so, like, it's going to be very important for Baylor to establish that run. They, they've done it really well over the last month. Like, they've really focused on establishing it. But this game, it, it really needs to go to even another level. And I think it can. I think there's even more left in the tank for this offense. And honestly, if you get, like, Blake Shapin's best game on Saturday, then I think you're going to blow out Kansas State. I think it really all comes down to him in my eyes. Yeah, he's got to protect the football, obviously. Uh, can't be, you know, sloppy with it like he was. Let's say, you know, just kind of running around. We've seen him some, at times, you know, even if it's just his own offensive lineman barely nicking into him and, jarring the ball loose like he's just got to be super aware of of the ball and and its security um and yeah I mean if they can do you know basically what they've been doing I feel feel great about it but they're gonna have to get some more out of him in the passing game and they gotta I mean they gotta clean up some of the tackling um because you don't tackle Deuce Vaughn and he's gone um or Bijan or or, Kendra anybody they're about to face basically (laughs) yeah I mean you're worried about KC right now that goes for Adrian Martinez too like Mm -hmm. I mean if you got him you better get him down because otherwise explosive play could be coming and and that's what K-State's going to feast off of more than anything yeah the good thing for Baylor is a lot of their stuff is interior running and that's where Baylor's been strongest Mm -hmm. um but you're right Adrian Martinez on the perimeter that could be a little bit of an issue I I think yeah I mean that that's huge as well you mentioned Blake Shapin you know Baylor's proven they can win games where he throws for 132 yards and it's fine like they're they're able to run the ball (laughs) yeah they're able to run the ball and whatnot he only had one turnover so everything was fine there but eventually like if you really want to win the big 12 he's gonna have to put together a couple really good performances and this feels like one where they should be able to control things up front to where he should get a few opportunities to make some plays in the pass game. He really needs to take advantage of them because I think we're at a point in the season where we need to see even more growth consistently where it's like every game he's playing at this level instead of he's playing at this level and then he's playing at this level and then this level and then the you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just kind of been... A mixed bag. So, yeah, uh, if he can put it all together, though, Baylor should be in great shape. If he throws for 132 yards, Baylor can still win the game. So that's a nice place to be in. All right, so there's a little bit of a look at Kansas State and uh, the Bears coming up this weekend and also what they were able to do last weekend. Before we get into the mailbag, uh, 
A quick uh, basketball season tipped off. Uh, Baylor women, 88-50 to over Lamar. Uh, they moved to 1-0 on the year. And then uh, men's basketball, 117-53 to win uh, on um, the opening day of the college basketball season. Uh, they kicked things off with an 11 a.m. tip and uh, beat down Mississippi Valley State. So the number five uh, men also 1-0 to start the year. Women winning in the uh, nightcap. Uh, both teams ranked. Uh, your thoughts on, you know, just the opening day for college basketball season and the Bears tipping off? Yeah, I mean, fun to see Baylor in action. That This was not a competitive game at all. Um, but I felt like you got to see some good things from Baylor. Got to see Keontae George's, you know, first appearance. Everyone's excited about him. He had 13 points, seven assists, six rebounds. Um, only four of 13. So I think there was a little bit of... Um, first game jitters, but he played really well. He was in control of the game, did everything you wanted to see as far as playmaking, passing, all that. That was fun. Jalen Bridges looked really good in his first appearance as a Bear. Uh, Caleb Lohner. I mean, really, everyone played good. I do want to give a special shout-out to two guys that played well off the bench. You know, when you have Langston Love coming off the bench and Dale Bonner played well off the bench as well, um, that's nice to have two guys off the bench that you feel like you can rotate in. I know as the year goes on, you know, you're not going to see 20 minutes for both of them. Um, But I think if they're both giving you, you know, if they're combining for like 25 minutes as a duo coming in and giving you some depth, that's really nice to have, especially when you look at their three starters with Flagler, Cryer, and George. Um, That's a very nice luxury to have. Yes, it is. So uh, the Baylor men... Getting off, as I mentioned, to a, to a nice start. It'll now be Norfolk State coming up on Friday. And, um, you know, we'll see where they go from there. They're going to have Virginia coming up uh, here in about a week and a half from now. It'll be a, a huge matchup for them. And uh, we'll see <clears throat> with Nikki Collin and, and company what they're able to keep on doing uh, as well as they'll face Incarnate Word before meeting up with SMU uh, a week from Tuesday night. Uh, so, uh, and then Maryland following that. So about to ramp up for them as well. But, yeah, good to have basketball season back in a top five men, top 20 women's team. Uh, all right, let's see here. Getting the mailbag. Let's do it. All right, yeah. uh, mode up nine, Denton Hill, or excuse me, Denton linebacker, Hill Jr. Um, Anthony Hill. Okay. The, the guy who he just decommitted from A&M. Okay. Uh, just reading it. We're, Denton linebacker, Hill Jr. decommits from A&M. Where are we if we are still in the conversation? Not in the conversation. He's okay. visiting Texas this weekend. I think the foregone conclusion is he's going to flip to Texas. Um, lots of guys are actually getting you know crystal balls to flip to Texas right now. Lots of momentum for them, uh, especially when you see A&M just completely just crumbling right now. Um, but Baylor's not in the running for, for him. But I do think... As this season goes on, if Baylor continues to play well, get some guys on campus for this Kansas State and TCU game, they should be in a pretty nice position to to have a nice finish to their class. Is this also NIL stuff for Texas getting all these flips as well? Or because I mean, dude, I mean, they're fine, but like, let's not act like they're in the college football play. I'm not talking about you, yeah. but like, I mean, they they're in the race, but they're not like fighting for a national title by any means for sure but i I think it's one of those things where it's like they just get this guy and this guy well but the two schools they're recruiting against primarily are struggling oklahoma and a&m and that's where they're getting the flips from so like colton vosick the westlake guy he's i think he's gonna flip from oklahoma to to texas you got anthony hill who's gonna flip from a&m to texas and there might be some more but it's more of taking advantage of when the other two are down kind of like what oklahoma and a&m did to texas when they were going you know five and seven or whatnot 
Boy, that's going to be a fun cluster of whatever in the SEC between those three teams. Uh, ZT Smith, 423. How long have you guys been doing a podcast together? Love it and everything you all do for the site. I feel like us Bear fans should all be grateful for the work all you guys put into the thing. Thank you, ZT yeah, Smith. Thank you. And you're absolutely right. Be grateful, people. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, like three, four years now at this point. 2018, four years. Yeah, so when we started with Fast Friday. Yeah, and a little... Uh, the shed you see at the pregame, yeah. um, the whatever you call it, is that a shed, a portable container. shed, portable container? container? Yeah. yeah, that container. Sounds better. Yeah. yeah, that you see out there across from McLean. That's where we were doing it at one point. Rain, sleet, cold, whatever, <laughs> and uh, so definitely have up the uh, the digs uh, from you know where we're recording and whatnot, and and do appreciate you, ZT, and, and everybody else for listening. But yeah, about four years now. Uh, Scotty B. the Baylor King, how are we doing on Latravian McCutcheon for the class of 2023 in football? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, so he goes to Austin LBJ and he's going to visit this weekend, um, for the game and he decommitted from Minnesota, but Baylor hasn't offered him. So I just kind of want to caution because until he's offered it, it's not really, there's not a lot of substance to it. I do think that Baylor is going to evaluate him and decide on that this week, and that's great, and maybe he ends up getting an offer. Um, but right now, you know, I, they're doing fine, I guess. They, they haven't offered. I think if they do offer, he'll probably, you know, commit to Baylor, which is great. He's a very good player and one to keep an eye on, I would say, at this moment for the 2023 class as Baylor's kind of starting to send out offers to JUCOs and, and things like that while also trying to get in on some guys that they maybe missed on early. Scotty B as well. How long does usual eligibility issues as a transfer take regardless of the sport? I'm curious because Baylor women's basketball has this issue right now with Dre Edwards. I'm hoping she gets cleared soon because she would be a starter. No idea. Um, yeah. You know, I think that I've seen cases that last what seems like forever, but it's not anything I've ever kept close track of, to be honest with you. Uh, so I don't know what the timelines are. I know that, you know, it does, there have been instances where it feels like it drags on and on and on, but I'm not sure in her case. I mean, if Brew McCoy can play an entire season for Tennessee, then I would yeah. think Dre Edwards will be able to play. You would, I think, would think, but, uh, I mean, this very unpredictable, you know, group of people that we're talking about yeah, here with the NCAA and, you know, clearinghouse and all of that. So, yeah, I don't know, Scotty. I don't, I don't know that there is, you know, hard, fast, you know, um, timelines here not sure how that works uh bear Coog, we can still we still cannot stop quarterback runs gabriel torched us we're about to go up against martinez who's arguably the best quarterback runner in the conference do we load the box here to prevent deuce and martinez from getting big gains or are we still going to be dropping our backers for additional coverage yeah so i think that it's very important to note the game plans each week and Dylan Gabriel, while he can run, I think Baylor was fine with giving up a few runs here and there to Dylan Gabriel, especially because most of his runs were not scripted. It was more so the Baylor defense in man coverage, then he just took off and would get you know his yards. In this one, it's going to be a focal point to stop Adrian Martinez, and I think that they'll be okay with giving up you know, more man coverage and forcing Adrian Martinez to make throws from the pocket while keeping him in the pocket. So I think the game plan is going to be stop the run, keep him and Deuce Vaughn at bay running the football, and then forcing him to be able to make throws from the pocket. So we'll see if they can do that. Obviously, it's better said than done. Um, Adrian Martinez is a dynamic runner, so there are con- Concerns there for sure, um, but I do think you'll see Baylor make more of a conserve, conservative effort because, simply put, Adrian Martinez is a elite runner, not just an okay runner like Dylan Gabriel. 
Clintonberry, teen. Hey, guys, I have two questions, one football, one basketball. One, it seems like this year in a lot of third-down situations on defense, I'm seeing our middle linebackers in man coverage on running backs, and it hasn't been going well for us. Is this part of having to still protect the back half of the secondary? I'm terrified of Deuce Vaughn and Bijan Robinson in these situations being covered by our linebackers. Yeah, I mean, just the secondary in general, you know, the cornerbacks need help from the safeties. And so when you're having that situation, you know, you're, you're kind of nervous about bringing up too many guys to play coverage situations against running backs. Um, so they're going to have to continue, continue doing that. But I do think you might see some situations where maybe Al Walcott is put on uh, running backs, especially when you're talking about Deuce Vaughn. But at the end of the day, linebackers do have to cover running backs quite a bit. Um, so that is going to happen at times. It's just a matter of how often do you get kind of killed by that. And also, you know, like the Eric Gray play against Dylan Doyle where he caught on the sideline. say line. Dylan Doyle got caught up it, in that, yeah. And it was tough. So it's about closing that distance before the ball gets there, right? And being able to read the play really quickly. Again, easier said than done. And, yeah, they have been put in these situations, but that's what happens when maybe your, your linebackers aren't the most athletic. And so last year, Trell Bernard took up a lot of that responsibility along with Jalen Petrie at times. Um, but this year, you know, Doyle's had to take up more of that load as well as Matt Jones. And I'll give Doyle a lot of credit, too, because he seemed like he was dog-tired at that point already yeah. in the game. And then, like, he just hit, like, the second Energizer Bunny level and ended up with leading the team in tackles. Right. I think he had his career high in tackles, actually, in the game. And, yeah, I was like, man, early on, he looked like he was already dead man walking and losing track of Eric Gray. And, you know, sure enough, I didn't worry about him the rest of the game after that, I don't think. So... Uh, props to him. Uh, McClendon Bear also, our men's team yesterday, ran a lot of full-court press defense. Was this just an opportunity to work on it against a lesser opponent, or do you think they want to play a lot of full-court press this season? Thanks, as always, guys. I think it was just to get kind of used to it a little bit. I, I think that in certain situations they might, but I don't expect that to be their full-on game plan the entire year. I think like yeah. when you have Dale Bonner in the game or Langston Love, like you yeah. might do that and utilize them in that way. Yeah, it's just a good time to. I mean, it's Mississippi Valley State. Work You're up huge. Uh, win, win better to to work on and get some looks at some things. But uh, yeah, I would assume that's just them taking advantage of the opportunity and uh, getting some work in while they while they can. Um, makes sense to to do that. Um, so thank you for the questions, McLennan, and hopefully that answers them. And uh, hopefully we hear from you again. Jay Bear 19, after this weekend, four Big 12 quarterbacks have been injured while playing against TCU. Dylan Gabriel, Adrian Martinez, Jalen Daniels, and Baron Morton. In addition, Will Howard was injured in the K-State game as well. At what point is this no longer a coincidence? You can never fully plan for any injury, but how do the Bears play their game but remain cognizant of this pattern? I will say Baron Morton's ankle is already was a little dinged up, but TCU definitely twisted his ankle. I watched it flat out on yeah. camera and commented on it during, the, I think, the pregame show or something. Like, yeah, I, I definitely think there's something a little bit nefarious going on. Like, I don't think it's all out, like, head hunting, but... Uh, the it's Dylan Gabriel one was head hunting. I'm just saying in yeah. general, it's mm -hmm. not like full-blown head hunting. Um, but, yeah, there's clearly something that's a little out of whack here. And, and that Baron Morton twisting of the ankle was super intentional. Um, I, I mean, I, I was sitting right here watching it going like, yeah, that was a bit dirty. And sure enough, it re-aggravated what was already there. So at what point is it no longer coincidence? And uh, how do the Bears plan for that? I mean, first they got to worry about Kansas State uh, yeah. before worrying about TCU. That's what I would say first, but your thoughts. Yeah, I agree with that. I'll also mention Adrian Martinez was actually injured going into that game. I think he came in, and I don't think he got hurt during the game. I think he just was like, I, I'm like I'm not healthy, 
It and was so a Will weird situation. Howard, yeah, yeah, I don't I know don't, what it was. I don't think he got knocked out of that game. Will Howard did, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, like you said, it, it's very... <laughs> It's not a coincidence. I don't yeah, think it's pretty much not at this point. Yeah, They're going after the quarterbacks, and they're basically saying, if you're going to run your quarterback, we're going to make him pay. And when we get a chance to sack your quarterback, we're going to make him pay. And so that's kind of what they've done. I, I don't think you can plan on that. I, I, I think that Shapin needs to slide. Shapin needs to be aware of that. But also, you can't play afraid of it. That's what they want you to do. They want you to play afraid of getting hurt. You can't do that. Football's a violent sport. It happens. But what I will say is just be the more physical team. If you're the more physical football team, you'll find a way to make up for that in other ways. Yes, yeah, so the whole Koskazati, we're going to be mentally stronger and tougher and all that yeah. than you. And, like, you know, it's just one of those things, like, you know, get in there and the, you know, dog's barking or whatever, mm-hmm. but all you can do is really just bark back and fight back. But right. the moment you cave to it, the moment they've got you hook, line, and they, sinker. They and, want people to talk about this. Yeah. They want people to say, oh, they keep knocking out quarterbacks because then the next quarterbacks are like, oh, everyone's been talking about it. I need to, you know, be very curious about this, be nervous about it. They want people to talk about this. So that's why you can't go into a game thinking about that. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's not a coincidence at this point to answer your question. Um, and I thought about that the same, but um, – you know, talk about that more TCU week because K State's going to be enough of a challenge. But appreciate the question. Your day cup check better seem to run quite a bit with mid zone this week when OU started playing the edges to prevent the wide. Do you see this as a trend starter for this team the rest of the season, or was this an in game adjustment by Grimes to find continued success on the ground when our bread and butter was taken away? Absolutely an adjustment by Grimes, and it worked perfectly. And when you're able to kind of balance those things, because a lot of times that's what he does. He balances those uh, zone inside runs with the outside, the wide zone runs. And he likes to mix it up at times, but... Yeah, it seemed like, you know, OU was doing a good job of setting the edge. And when you're able to do that, you can stop the wide zone quite a bit. Um, but once they went to that mid zone, inside zone stuff, it, it really helped. So, yeah, I, I think that you're going to see more of that if teams are able to stop them from getting outside with the wide zone. But I also think teams are going to struggle with that as well. It's kind of pick your poison against this Baylor rushing attack that has been very, very good over the last month. So like uh, Texas Tech, they stopped the wide zone pretty well, but then Baylor started going and, you know, was it uh, pick and pull, and they didn't have as much of an answer for that Mm -hmm. one. But they had stopped the wide zone well, as they should have, because they kind of knew what was coming in so many ways but or were familiar with it. But, yeah, they Baylor audible to, you know, different uh, look, and that gave them some trouble. Yeah, and all those combinations set up their play action so well. It sets up their variances that they're able to do in the passing game. And so if you're able to keep a defense on their toes a little bit, you can get away with some misdirection type stuff that works really well, as we saw with Jordan Neighbors some. And mm-hmm. I, I do think getting Monterey Baldwin will help this offense immensely. I think they are missing him quite a bit at receiver. Who of the starting four running backs would be best suited for a heavy dosage of the mid-zone run game? Yeah, so for me, this is just going to be the best running backs because what I've seen, they all can do it. Um, I, I think Richard Reese and Squirrel are the best bets at this point. I, You know, I like Quaylen, but I, I don't think Quaylen is their best, like, give him the ball running back. I think he's just solid, and then he pass blocks exceptionally well. So for me, it's whoever's healthy between Reese and Williams. Both can be very good at it. Uh, I think what we saw... The ceiling of Squirrel might be a little bit higher than Richard at this very moment. Um, but I think both, they need both. If they have both going into the home stretch and then a healthy Quaylen, and who knows, maybe Tay comes back, um, you know, they're going to be in a great situation to continue running the football. I would also say if you get a 100% healthy Tay McWilliams, he could be very good in their mid zone run game as well. 
I think it's also exciting the whole room could be back next year. Now, granted, running behind a completely brand-new offensive line, yep. but, you know, even then you can kind of start to plug and place some guys into next year's O-line and get, like, half your line back, but you're going to be losing a massive amount of experience. Yeah. But still, you'll have Shapin, you'll have your whole running back room, and you, your young receivers are basically growing right now. You're and gonna I'm lose, sure they'll bring in transfers. Yeah, you lose guys. Gavin Holmes, but everybody else should basically be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, tight ends, you lose Ben Sims, but everybody else should be back. So... Be interesting offseason to kind of how they they revamp, but uh, this running back room is really growing and showing a lot of promise, and it's it's fun to see that. Now, obviously, Squirrel can't expect him to get another twenty five carries necessarily this week. It's the but, same thing with Richard. It's like yeah. we want them to both be in that fifteen to twenty. Yep. Um, but they haven't had both healthy ever. Like really running full steam and both healthy, they haven't had that all year. Yep. Uh, so thank you, Modup, ZT, Scotty, Bear Coog, McLennan, J Bear. Cup check and uh, Bear Coog for the questions this week. Hopefully, we uh, got the answers that you were looking for, and uh, hopefully, hear from you again. We do appreciate uh, all of you for contributing to the podcast uh, in the mailbag. So, uh, with that said, uh, some Big Twelve pickums here. Let's do it. So, the Big Twelve picks for the week. Let's start with 11 a.m. on FS1. Oklahoma travels to West Virginia. Uh, to take on uh, the Mountaineers. The over-under is 66. Oklahoma is currently an eight-point favorite in this one. Uh, who do you got? Give me the Sooners. Uh, I think that they've got a little something going. They're they're not a good football team yet, but they're moving in that direction slowly but surely, and they're definitely, in my opinion, better than West Virginia at this stage. Uh, West Virginia... It's been all downhill since the Baylor win. Um, There's lots of calls for Neil Brown's head. He knows it. Uh, You just feel the tension, and it seems like it's only a matter of time, if not for that buyout, that he would have already been out the door. Um, But, you know, I've had some West Virginia folks that are connected saying that, you know, apparently he's agreed to making some staff changes behind the scenes. And so, you know, we'll see what happens there. But it's clear that not everything's great right now in Morgantown, and Neil Brown's basically – Within these next 12 months, if not sooner, he's coaching for his job. So um, Morgantown makes it interesting, but give me give me Oklahoma in this one. Just too much uncertainty on the, the West Virginia side. Yeah, I think for West Virginia, it's one of those things where, well, first of all, the, the hiring process, I don't think they want to pay the buyout. And right, so I no. think that might lead them to keeping Neil Brown. But as far as this That's what I mean, like goes, within the next year, yeah. that will there will be some finality oh, sure. of this, but just maybe not. The end of this year, but right. in the next 12 months, there will be some finality. Yeah, I, but I'm with you, though. I think Oklahoma offensively is going to be a little bit too much for West Virginia. They can throw the ball. They can run the ball. They really do a lot of things offensively, and that, that's going to lead them to probably scoring 40-plus points in this game, and I think that's just too much for West Virginia. And I think they want to – sorry. I think they want to win a bowl game. For sure. Yeah, we'll get into a bowl game, yeah. and this is their, their best well, bet to, to win this week and get that – get yeah. that uh, done with and they've already played the the top teams in the big 12 they yeah. still have opportunities ahead of them but yeah i think they get this one done i'll take the sooners 41 to 24 i like oklahoma pretty big in this one uh next up 230 on espnu iowa state travels to stillwater to take on oklahoma state iowa state is a one point favorite the over under is 48 and a half um 
who do you got here? I, Spencer Sanders playing. You know, I, I don't really know what to make of Oklahoma State now. Yeah, uh, I I don't know either. And uh, not being able to to know who's even playing makes this just kind of a dumb game because like yeah. you should you know if this is the NFL we would know if mm-hmm. Spencer Sanders was playing or not. So I've said on the show like that's something that college football is gonna have to figure out if they start getting like super into the gambling side of things is they're gonna have to start releasing injury reports ahead of time and. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be it'd be nice to know if Spencer Sanders was freaking playing the starting quarterback, but without that knowledge, uh, give me uh, Iowa State. I mean, I don't know what else to do because if it's no Spencer Sanders and it's what Oklahoma State's thrown out there the last couple of weeks, like as bad as Iowa State appears to be on offense, and they are not very good. Um, I mean, that defense is the best unit that's out on the entire field for either team. So I'll just I'll go with Iowa State, but not with a whole lot of confidence in, in really either side here. Yeah, I mean, if Spencer Sanders plays, I think Oklahoma State wins. But I, I just <laughs> we don't know. I, I don't know. If we he's have no play. idea. If he doesn't play, if he doesn't play, it's hard for me to pick Oklahoma State after seeing their quarterbacks last week. I mean, it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, so I, and dude, listening to Gundy, like there's just there's no rhyme or reason really to what's going on right now. I mean, they're just trying to basically hang on right as healthy as possible, and I, it just doesn't. It's just it's just it's I don't even know how to describe Oklahoma State right now. Yeah, and their schedule throughout is easy. The rest of their schedule, but like if they're banged up, they might not win another game. It, right. it's this bad. I mean, to this level, it, it's pretty insane. Um, if Sanders plays, I'll take them. If not, I'll take Iowa State. In that one, but I think it'll be probably pretty close either way. Mm-hmm. Um, next game, 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus. I hate these ESPN Plus games. I seeing Baylor and Oklahoma on ESPN Plus last week was just flat out ridiculous. But it's Kansas uh, traveling to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. Tech is a three and a half point favorite. The over under is 64 and a half points. Uh, Kansas uh, beat Oklahoma State last week pretty badly to get eligible for a bowl, and Tech lost to TCU on the road. Yeah, they keep, you know, there's still teases about Jalen Daniels possibly coming back. I mean, we'll say for their little, you know, post-game, post-injury, his little video in Leipold's office where they were joking about reports or kind of cracking on reports that he was going to miss the rest of the year. Well, he hadn't played since then, and there's only three games left. So kind of, you know, that reporter wasn't that far off based on the trajectory of of Jalen Daniels' return. Saving him for the Texas game. Yeah, maybe, but um, Jason Beans played well. Um, uh, yeah, I, I feel like Texas Tech, though, has got to get a win here, and I, I know that they were kind of upset with some of the calls that went against them in the TCU game. They scrapped and played hard like I figured that they would. Give me Tech and Lubbock. That's where they've won all their games, but uh, Kansas is going to be a tough opponent for them. TCU's been talking a lot of trash after that game, too. Their mm-hmm. recruiting guy, Brian Carrington, has been posting all kinds of messages after the summer about him talking about Lubbock. Uh, I found that to be kind of funny as well, but you know what? I'm going to go with Kansas here. I think this is going to be high scoring. I think this is going to be a really fun and entertaining game. I, I, I just think Kansas might just be better than Tech, especially if Tech's not going to have Baron Morton. They're not. Look, yeah, which they're not. So I like Kansas. I think Kansas is going to go in there and get this one done. High scoring, uh, but I'll take the Jayhawks 38-35 to 35 to gonna, get it done. That's going to really put uh, them in a bind, Texas Tech. Uh, they need to beat Oklahoma and Iowa State Yeah, in Ames. Which is possible because, I mean, just score a few points here. But then right. again, I mean, that they could be coming down to – if they don't win this weekend, they'll have to win out their last two to, to make mm-hmm. a bowl game, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to get a little risky there. It's pretty crazy how – 
pretty much every team can make a bowl in the Big 12 mm-hmm. outside of West Virginia. Outside of West Virginia, yep. yeah. But, yeah, give me Tech just because they're at home and they win at home. But if they were to lose this game, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, uh, next up, 6.30 on ABC. College game day is going to be at this game. It is TCU traveling to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns. Uh, Texas is a seven-point favorite. Uh, Over-under is 64.5. Texas coming off the win over Kansas State. TCU uh, knocked off the Red Raiders this past week. I mean, I know i got to make a pick here, but I'm not so sure my pick doesn't change before Friday. Um, You know, initially I was just all Texas, and now the more I hear the hype for this game, I'm more like going back towards TCU. But it's a question of how healthy is Quentin Johnston. Like, that's obviously a major factor in this game. And again, not not aware of, of his exact status, and they're going to play that close to the vest and use it, you know, as a, as a little mind game, I'm sure, uh, for, you know, the whole week. I mean, why reveal whether he's going to play or not if you don't have to? Uh, but they're obviously a different team without him versus with him. Uh, I'll assume he plays because it's Texas and Austin and his last go-around and all that. But, man, I keep going back and forth. I'm leaning Texas, but – I got a lot pulling me towards TCU for some reason over the last 24 hours. So I'm torn as of Tuesday, and I probably will be that way for the next couple of days. But, yeah, right now, slightly favoring Texas. Yeah, I I think Texas is going to win this game. Um, I got them 37-33, to so I don't think they're going to cover. Um, I I think, like you said, TCU, if they don't have Quentin Johnston, I'm absolutely taking Texas. If they do, it changes some things because I think he's that special and – their passing game has been really bad when he's not out there. Um, and Texas is, has a great run defense. So you got to be able to throw the football. It makes me nervous because the way Duggan's played over the last month. And so I like the Longhorns to get this one done. I think this is going to be one of those games where it's like, and I know the Oklahoma game has this vibe, but I think this is truly going to be, this is the best game Texas has played all year. That's what I feel like it's setting up for. They haven't played a home game in a month. Um, so I, I just think Quinn Ewers back home. I, I think they get the job done and hold on. They're, they're going to take a big lead and TCU's going to come back and they're going to find a way to hold on. That's kind of how I see it playing out. Yeah, I mean, unlike some of these other teams, TCU's come back on in the fourth quarter. Texas has as much firepower, if not more, than they do. And they've got right. Bijan, and they've got Jatavian Sanders, and they've got Xworthy. And yeah, but they're the most susceptible. Well, they, yeah, no, it's, they. It's a culture thing. Yeah, it's definitely a culture thing. But um, I just feel like Texas has a little bit of that firepower that not everybody else has that can kind of propel them and uh, you know keep them out of the harm of of folding in the fourth quarter as mm-hmm. TCU's been able to just time and again Every get away game. with it uh, basically is, is what they've done um, get away with you know losing leads or, or being down late they've, they've dug out of that hole so if they do it again in Austin then let the playoff talk continue they'll be in a very interesting spot tonight in the rankings but uh, you know it really does not matter if they don't win their final three games and this one in Austin this weekend will be a, a huge one no doubt and then um, Baylor right after that. So mm-hmm. be a very interesting couple next weeks for uh, for Sonny Dykes and the uh, Horn Frogs. All right, so one more game yeah. on the slate. 6 p.m. FS1, Kansas State travels to McLean Stadium to take on the Baylor Bears. Baylor is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 53 points. Kansas State coming off the loss to Texas. Baylor coming off a win over Oklahoma. Who do you got in this one? Well, it's gone down like a half a point since I last looked at it last night, uh, or even maybe a three. full point. Um, I, I think, think it was so. Like three and a half. Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say right. a full point, maybe. Um, yeah, so I'm going Baylor, 
And uh, I know that it's going to be a tight game. Just kind of kind of feel that. These teams are pretty even. Uh, home field, you know, the way they played on the road now, like I almost wish they were playing in Manhattan. Shoot, I mean, especially looking at what K-State just did at home. Got drilled by Texas. But, yeah, I, I just have to think, like, what's at stake? What's in front of them? The way that they're playing? Um, the style that K-State plays? I think Baylor can handle that. Like, I, I just – I give them – it's not – Clear in a way, like a no-brainer, they're going to win this game. But I feel feel pretty confident picking the Bears here. Yeah, and it's actually come down since 10 a.m. this morning. It was at 3, and so now hey. it's down to 2.5. So all the money's going to Kansas State. I guess everyone listened to cover 3 and then went in and, and put their bets in. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think Baylor's going to win this game. I think they get back home. I think that <clears throat> Baylor's played okay at home. I don't think they've put together a complete performance at home yet, and I think this is an opportunity to do that. Um, I also don't think this is a game where they're looking ahead or anything. Baylor still has a lot to play for, and I I think they're going to play a very good game of football against Kansas State. I also like the styles. I think that they match up pretty well against what Kansas State wants to do. Um, So, yeah, give me the Bears. I think they're going to win this one 33-27, so fairly close, um, but I think Baylor gets the job done. Yep, so we're in agreement there. Uh, definitely both uh, thinking Baylor wins, but also both thinking this will be this will be a close game. Yeah, I definitely am not expecting any kind of a blowout scenario. Uh, that'd be nice to just be able to watch them coast, but uh, probably not in the cards this weekend. It's going to be one down to the wire. So, man, it's been a really fun uh, last you know three weeks with them getting this little streak going. But man, they can win this weekend. Then you talk about some hype building for TCU and Texas to close out the year. Uh, but, you know, that'll still be great either way just because of rivalries and whatnot. But, man, it could really be special if they can take care of business this weekend against Kansas State. So, K-State has to win to basically have any chance at a Big 12 title. Um, and Baylor, pretty much the same thing, except for they still control their own destiny, uh, but not if they, they lose this weekend, obviously. So, highly important game upcoming this Saturday at McLean Stadium. Uh, and that'll do it for us this week, taking a look back and uh, also taking a look forward. Grayson, anything before we go here? No, I don't think so. You know, just, uh, of course, if you're not a Sikkim 365 Premium subscriber, please do so. We have a lot of content, football, recruiting, basketball is getting going. Basketball recruiting is fully underway. Lots of good stuff going on there as well. And then, of course, uh, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, uh, 3 to 6. Great stuff all about college football, just all of it. It's pretty great stuff, so be sure to tune in to both. Yes, uh, please do, uh, and we'll be on the air today at 3, uh, as every Monday through Friday, talking, as Grayson mentioned, college football, Baylor football, and much more. Thanks to Jacob, and also thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well uh, for doing uh, doing all the, the great work to, to get this podcast up, running, recorded, and all that good stuff, and get it to you. Appreciate all of you out there for listening. Uh, at the same time, uh, can't do it without an audience, and uh, we have a great one. So thank you so much for that. Grayson, appreciate it as always, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Uh, uh, but until till next time, K-State up next. Bears going bowling and still in the hunt for a Big 12 title. We'll talk about it on the next BearCast. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com. <laughs>